to the Far Coast Podcast. My name is Marissa Lordanic. We're back for another Tilly's Review episode. It's me and the dulcet tones of Anna Harrington, Angela Christian Wilkes and Sam Lewis taking you through this one. It was unfortunately another defeat for the Matildas, 3-2 to Denmark, but it was 10 minutes of mayhem in the first half, which just really set everything up. Unfortunately, Tamiki Olive and Mackenzie Arnold uh, scored own goals either side of a Savecki goal. And um, Fox Football Stato Brendan DeCosta really summed it up. Uh, uh, Denmark had more goals than shots on target, and that explains basically the first half and the whole game, really. We left our comeback late. Mary Fowler scored her first ever international goal, and Claire Polkinghorne added a header in injury time at the far post. But, um, Let's start off with some things that we loved to see from this game. So, Sam, what did you love to see from this game? So, Marissa, you mentioned 10 minutes of mayhem, but 10 minutes that I really loved to see was the previous 10 minutes that were leading up to those 10 minutes of mayhem. The opening 10 minutes of this game against Denmark, I thought, were the best 10 minutes that the Matildas have played, not just across these European friendlies, but also perhaps even stretching back into Olympic qualification under a previous coach. These 10 minutes seemed to really encapsulate the kind of football that Tony Gustafsson wants them to play. Really high energy, high pressing, really accurate and deliberate passing, using the width of the field now that we've got Steph Catley and Ellie Carpenter back. Lots of really penetrative passes in behind, really utilising Sam Kerr to the best of her abilities and barely giving the opposition a sniff in their own attacking half. I just, I was so impressed by it. And it's it's just such a shame that it seemed to all crumble apart as soon as we conceded the first own goal. But that if that 10 minutes can become nine, a 90-minute performance, I, I honestly think that we are going to be like a, a really serious contender for some big titles in future. So first 10 minutes of the Denmark-Australia game, you love to see it. If only football was only 10 minutes long. Harrow, what did you love to see? I love to see Mary Fowler scoring her first international goal. Um, we'd been pressing for so long in this game and really deserved a goal. And it came at just the right time. It was a great little, it was really just impact substitutes combining. Emily Gilnick made a great run down the right-hand side, put a ball in that Denmark pretty criminally failed to clear. Um, and then Fowler's just pounced on it and just put her left foot right through it first time like just smacked it into the top corner nothing the goalkeeper could do about it it was a great moment for Fowler I imagine a bit of relief in there having sort of been in and out of the fold over the last couple of years um just struck it so cleanly like if you're ever going to score your first international goal you could score one like that you'd just be on cloud nine fantastic um so great stuff from Mary Fowler fantastic it's what we want to see um also, just a personal little highlight was in the build-up after this failed clearance, Kyra Cooney-Cross comes in to compete and just absolutely takes out some Denmark defender, two-footed. I don't know how it wasn't penalised. Um, thankfully, for Mary Fowler's sake, it wasn't because the ball's fallen to her and she's hit that amazing goal. But Kyra Cooney-Cross just comes out of nowhere. When you see, as Sam was saying to us before the recording, you see the reverse angle. And she just comes out of nowhere. It's like when you're watching one of those documentaries and like a lion comes out of nowhere and just grabs the antelope. Just blink and you miss it. Um, just a little personal heart. But yes, Mary Fowler scoring her first goal and it's an absolute banger. You love to see it. 
you love to see it. You love to see the animal planet part of it as well. And you really love to see her face after she scores the goal. Like it's a very subtle celebration. It's not big at all, but just that smile. It was just really cute to see. Angela, what did you love to see? Following on from that, I love to see some kidlets making their debuts for the Matildas. It was very Kara Cooney Cross being one of them. And as we just touched on, you could say that she literally made an impact in the game. Um, and also Courtney Nevin came on at halftime as well. Um, yeah, fantastic to see. I think they both had pretty decent first performances with the Matildas. And I also liked sort of, you know, we were 3-0 down at halftime. I like the... I guess the intention of, you know, what do we have to lose? Let's just put the kids on and see what they can do. And I think that, you know, we came back and it had a really positive outcome. Um, And so all positive signs. And, yeah, congrats to Kyra and Courtney on their their first games. You love to see it. Also, just another quick you love to see it. I really love seeing, like, the fans in the stadium. I don't know if there's been fans in stadiums recently, but it was just really lovely to see that in the context of, like, an international women's football match. And I think it's been a while since we've all been up at 2am and there's actually been crowd noises. Very strange. It made me feel some kind of way. I'm I'm not really sure if I can articulate it, but it made me feel nice. Yeah, you'll love to see it. Fans in stadiums. No, you absolutely did love to see it. I also really liked that they all kind of had the flags. It looked like a giant wall of red while they were all kind of holding up these flags. So it was very good to see. We will touch on the kind of kids being thrown on in the second half and things happening. But a quick, you love to see it from me, Emily Van Egmont made her 100th appearance for the Matildas. She becomes the eighth woman to bag a century of caps. She wore the armband, unfortunately not the result you want in a milestone game, but it's just so cool that we have another centurion. We know it's not easy in the women's game at club level. It's even harder at international level, but you absolutely love to see it. And hopefully there's still many more in Van Eggs' legs. She's only 27 is the insane thing, Marissa. Like 27 and she's racked up 100 appearances for her country. Like I I think it's hard for a lot of people to actually grasp the magnitude of that, how impressive a feat that is. Like obviously she and Sam Kerr and Caitlin Ford all came through at like 15 and 12 years on, she's still very much going strong and still a key part of this setup. So, yeah, just to reiterate that, you really do love to see it. And I suppose how good bouncing off that, the photos that Sam Kerr shared of them as, like, teenagers were so adorable and cute. So we should definitely give those a share on the the gram and the toots because how good. And then bouncing off of that, back to your, you love to see it, the photo of um, Kyra and Courtney, I'm assuming playing junior or young Matildas and then senior Matildas, when they kind of develop their careers, that's going to be even cuter to kind of see them grow up in front of our very eyes. But let's actually get into some match chat. So we put the call out on Twitter for questions, so we will be answering all of them that you gave to us. And as we said, we had a lot of youth players kind of enter the game. So we had two questions around that. Uh, Twitter user IceColdCop just wanted to say, how good are the young guns? So we will continue to pump up them. But then Jenny on Twitter also said, going forward, would you choose the youth or the experience, I suppose, in the lineup after how good that second half was? So, Harrow, what do you think? Are you kind of leaning more towards youth or experience or a combination of both? What's your, what's your vibe? I think it has to be a combination of both. Like, let's not forget, 3-0 down, there's no pressure on these kids. Like, you just go, 
go out there, make an impact, try and give us a spark, show us what you can do. And they did just that to their credit. Mary Fowler, Kara Cooney Cross, Courtney Nevin all came on and showed a bit of what they could do. Um, personal highlight for me wasn't actually in the attacking phase of play. There was this moment where Kara Cooney Cross had a clearly absolutely busted her gut to get back and she won a really important challenge sort of right on the edge of the 18-yard box when Denmark were in a really good position that probably would have got a shot away and who knows what would have happened. But she made this really crucial intervention and started a counter-attack and that really impressed me. Um, I think it is a bit of, a, as I said, a mix because you do need experience. At the end of the day, when you get on the big stage, you can't just, just throw all the kids in and let them have it. You need to have some experience. You need some experienced heads. And that was one of the things I really liked was that Sam Kerr stayed on when Mary Fowler came into the attack, it gave Fowler someone experienced to work off. The Emily Van Egmond stayed on and um, Ivy Lewick pushed into midfield um, when Kyra Cooney-Cross was involved in midfield. So both of those players had experienced heads around them. And when you've got that experience there, you know that they know how to do the jobs. They know how to do the dirty work. But bringing young players into the fold can just give you that little bit of a burst of excitement and energy. And... I'd say pretty safely that it's been a while since we'd had a first Matilda's goal from a player. Like, correct me if I'm wrong there. It's been a while. Like, Ellie Carpenter, as an example. I'll go back and check that stat. But just the excitement that it seemed to bring the players, like the look on Sam Kerr's face when Mary Fowler scored that goal and the great celebrations getting around her, just youthful enthusiasm and players reaching milestones is something that, invigorates teams it's something that you see across every sport players scoring or kicking their first goal across any sport and young players coming in and giving something different it's something that rejuvenates any team Ellie Carpenter probably did it a few years ago Sam Kerr Emily Van Egmond Caitlin Ford infamously did that about 12 years ago like it's important to have that balance you need to have experienced players and I think come our starting 11 in a lot of these tournaments you still want to have the majority experienced there's no reason why some of these players can't put their name up in lights to start. And certainly I think you need to be looking at them as options off the bench because it's refreshing. It's a point of difference. It's unpredictable. Um, it's, it enthuses the fans. It gives the players around them something to get excited about. Um, and I think we got a little bit of the best of both worlds with the way we saw those players used um, in this game. So yeah, very much on the fence there. I think it's a, a combination of both. Um, but I was so excited by what those young players provided the other night. Just quickly, Alex Chidiak was the last player to score a debut goal for the Matildas in 2018. Sam? Yeah, just bouncing off a couple of things you mentioned there, Harry. The first one, in the preview pod that we did before the game, we talked about the need for these young players to be given some serious minutes surrounded by experienced players because it's only in those environments that they really appreciate what is expected of them at international level. And I think for Kyra and for Courtney, and to a lesser extent Mary, because she's sort of been in and around it for a little bit longer, they really got a sense, you could tell, of the fact that everything is just a little bit faster. Decisions have to be faster. Your technical footwork has to be faster. Your passes have to be more accurate. It's just those little one percenters that only in a competitive game scenario surrounded by international level players that these youngsters are going to actually understand and appreciate what is required. And I think for the most part, they seem to stand up to that. You know, they seem to meet that level of expectation. I think that Kyra... I think that was a, a sort of a, a moment of revelation for Kyra because she has never played at that level before. 
but now she's had a taste of it, I think she's going to want more. She seems like the kind of player who wants to be better all the time. And now that she has been in that and she can feel the energy, she can feel herself having to stretch and push herself even further, I think she's going to embrace that and she's going to become a much better player. Um, and the other thing that you mentioned as well, Harrow, was in terms of um, bench players, is impact players. When I spoke to uh, Tony Gustafsson after the game, he I, I sort of asked him about that as well. But the way that he talks about substitutes is quite different. And I wrote about this in my um, in my review uh, for the Guardian. He doesn't refer to them as substitutes. He refers to them as game changers. And he wants across his entire squad 16 outfield game changers. So 16 players on the field who can come off the bench and change a game. And he said a really lovely quote, particularly in reference to Emily Gilnick, who I thought was excellent, that, you know, just because you start on the bench doesn't mean you're not important. Sometimes you are more important when you're finishing a game as opposed to starting a game. And I think that Gilnick and, and definitely Mary Fowler showed that kind of game-changing quality. Um, and that's really important as well, you know, because in games like this, where you feel like the team that you started out with on the field has run out of ideas or is just sort of hitting their heads against the wall, you do need to have players who can come on and prove that they are able to change things. They can introduce a new dynamic. They can introduce a new dimension to the attacking sort of, um, you know, phases that we've got going on. And both Gionic and Fowler did that. So, yeah, I think it's it's really, really exciting. I'm really liking these players. I hope that a couple more players get given a run in the Sweden game. Um, but I think that, you know, it's the, the friendlies are achieving their purpose, basically. Gustafsson needed to know the kinds of players he had available to him and he needs to know the kinds of players who are and what they're capable of in order to whittle down this 25-player squad to 18 to take to Tokyo. So really excited for Sweden, really impressed with everything that pretty much everybody did except for one or two players here and there for some periods of the game. Um, I think it's, yeah, it's positive signs moving forward. Just as you mentioned with Kyra Cooney Cross there, Sam, um, the one thing I hope is that um, having got this taste of what's required at the top level, this is what prompts Kyra Cooney Cross and obviously Courtney Nevin there as well to take that leap. To We'll talk about other players later on in the signing news about taking that leap, going overseas, getting regular game time and just kicking on because Clearly, um, she's shown glimpses in this game and the thing she needs now is more and more high-quality game time. So that's what I hope we'll see next after these friendlies is, or maybe even during them, is Kyra Cooney-Cross in particular's name pop up as a signing somewhere because I think that's what we need to see and I think that's what we need. I think that's what the coaches would probably like to see and I think it would be great for Kyra Cooney-Cross having showed so much. Um, Now she just needs more and more game time with quality players around her. So very, yeah, very excited about the, the little glimpses we saw there. I was just going to say that while that sort of context of the 3-0 being 3-0 down, the kids could kind of just throw themselves into it with nothing to lose. Hopefully we don't have that ongoing. Like we don't need to, like we can just see them in an environment where we're more likely to win. I don't know. I just, that, that's my only thing. I think it was great. But, yeah, hopefully, I think that's important as well. Like games where it's going to be closer and there's more on the line to see how um, younger players step up in those kinds of environments where there is going to be more pressure because um, yes, performance under pressure, that's going to be a big thing moving forward. 
I should have actually said, like, clearly there was a level of pressure in that this team couldn't cop another thrashing when it went to 3-0. Like, Tony actually said in his pregame presser um, that my colleague Ed Jackson covered for AAP, and that was the main line out of it. We can't cop another thrashing because it starts to, that's when it starts to eat away at you and get the doubts going. And that was something that was impressive, especially with those young players coming into the fray. After that 10 minutes of madness, um, I thought the Matildas did really steady. We saw Tony pull... Um, sort of almost invert those fullbacks, bring them in, just try and stop some of the attack going right through basically the corridor of the pitch, like those central attacking moves that Denmark were getting a lot of joy out of. I thought they actually steadied really well after that, considering what a blow those two goals were. And that was something that was really pleasing. And bringing young players into the fray in the second half, you could so easily have seen a turnover or have seen moments that turned a 3-0 into a 5-0 and you can't really hide from a 5-0 or a 5-1 as we mentioned with those previous two games but to see things like that for example I mentioned the Karakuni cross running back to make the big defensive challenge that was really exciting because as much as we wanted to see them provide a spark we also didn't want to see the team sort of collapse and I think there was a lot to be said for the way that they actually dug their heels in and got back into the game and you know really on another day could have come away with a draw, if not a win. So I think that was quite pleasing, especially with all those younger, less experienced players coming onto the field. Um, the one thing I wanted to add that's basically just qu- question from Twitter user me, um, with Gilnick, I think it's been interesting. I feel like she's been really strong over the two uh, windows and the three games you know she scored the two goals against Germany she set up the polking corn goal I feel like she's been a really useful addition should she be starting is that something that we want to see from her or is she kind of best used as the game changer as you mentioned Sam yeah we've sort of seen a bit of a mix when it comes to Emily Gilnick over the course of these friendlies like she started the game against Germany but It wasn't actually until she was moved into a central position after Sam Kerr went off, funnily enough, that she scored her two goals. You know, she was on the right wing. She didn't really do a huge amount. Like she had some good deliveries. She's really good from corners. We know that. But actually like making that substantial contribution wasn't like it didn't really happen until something significant sort of shifted in the lineup. And then in the Netherlands game, she came off the bench. Uh, I think she came off in the sort of the 70th minute maybe um didn't didn't really do a huge amount either but still sort of introduced that game-changing quality I think that we then saw in the Denmark game where she came off the bench and clearly she assisted Polkinghorne's goal um and she 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 did the same sort of thing as she did in the Netherlands where she gave the defenders something interesting and something different to think about so yeah I mean I I don't know I think Gilnick can offer different kinds of things in different circumstances, like all players can. Maybe it is just a matter of the opposition and the kind of system, the kind of attacking um, ideas that Tony has against those kinds of defenders. Um, but she she clearly offers something different to the other kinds of wingers and forwards that we have. She's the tallest, I think, maybe across the whole attacking lineup. She is very, very good when it comes to set pieces. And she's just, she's a really powerful player as well. Like coming up against tall central defenders, you know, Sam Kerr can leap, you know, as high as the Eiffel Tower, but Emily Gilnick can crunch through them. And I think that both of those players have um, a valid space in, in this team because sometimes a Sam Kerr is just going to be bumped off the ball and you need to be able to have someone who can crunch through it. So yeah, I love Emily Gilnick. Talk about representation. 
The big thing with Emily Gionic is she is a confidence player, like a massive confidence player, more than probably any other Matilda, I think. Um, I like what you said, Sam, about this sort of game changers mentality that Tony Gustafsson has brought because um, I know that has been something that was probably a hang-up for Emily Gionic early earlier on in her Matilda's career was being the super sub at Brisbane Raw, being a super sub for Matilda's. Um, and then players get can get a bit hung up on, you know, oh, but you want to start and you want to do this, you want to have an impact. And really as a player, you want to be able to have a have an impact whether you're starting or whether you're coming off the bench. Um, Emily Gilnick's got the aerobic capacity and fitness to have an impact in both sides of the coin. I think the main thing is, it's got to be horses for courses, doesn't it? Like you're going to come up against some opponents, um, especially when we're playing in Asia, where Emily Gilnick's height and strength means that you look at her and you go, just play her. Um, make the use of her qualities and her power and um, her strength and her obvious pace, like the explosive pace, and also her goal scoring ability. But in the other games, it's going to make more sense to have Hayley Razzo. And at times in this game, Hayley Razzo drove me up the wall because she got in great positions or at times she put in great balls, but other times she hit it into the first defender. Um, it was a bit of this and that from Razzo. But there's no doubt that it works well because she caused Denmark plenty of problems. She runs everywhere. She caused a bit of chaos. And then it opened the door for Emily Gilney to come in and just have a big impact. So I think going forward, it is going to be a little bit of this and that. But she's clearly shown more in this sort of new era coming off the bench than she has as a starter, as you say, Sam. So it seems like at the moment that might be the role. Like, And at the end of the day, she created the goal, the breakthrough goal with that great run, the ball that opened up the defence, and then chaos ensued and Mary Fowler gets that goal. So at the end of the day, it doesn't matter whether she started or not because she created that breakthrough. She played a big role or she at least created that breakthrough moment. So if that works, that works. And Nonetheless, I think she's shown the form that shows she has to be right in the mix for this Olympics berth, which we have to note would be her first Olympics. She missed out on the 2016 Olympics, so she'll be as hungry as anyone. If you get in as a super sub or as a game changer, as Tony said, doesn't matter. You got your ticket to Tokyo. I have enjoyed seeing Emily Gilnick play more centrally over this past year. It's something she's really added to her game. Uh, I think she started early in her career at Brisbane trying that with little effect and then effectively got moved out to the wing, had success and has been a tall winger forever. Um, but I like that she's really rounded out her game since she went to Bayern Munich and then obviously went to Sweden that season in Sweden and then her season at Brisbane Royal playing more centrally. She's never going to be your hold up type forward. And why would you want her to be? Because that doesn't suit her, her strengths. Um, I think she's still not necessarily the strongest in the air for her height, but it's definitely improved. And she just offers a little bit of something, whether you play her out wide, whether you play her centrally, she can use both feet, um, just gives enough of a sort of X factor that why would you leave her out of a squad? Like, <laughs> Just gives enough of everything that you can just call on her, whether it's as a starter, whether it's as, as Tony would say, a game changer, that, you, she's unpredictable and you can you can get something different and yeah I think that's one thing that we have really learned from these three games in particular is how influential Emily Gilnick can be um, when she's in form when she's confident and whether she's used centrally or on the wing and it's exciting. Let's talk about the defence now because we had quite a few questions about that so Edmund just blatantly asked how to fix our defence please talk about how to fix our defence 
Uh, Twitter user let go, let go, let football asked about that back line. Why are we playing a back three? Why is Ivy Lewick playing at centre back? We need Emma Checker. Um, Simon, I thought, asked a really great question. He asked, how can we stop heads from going down when our opponents score after we've had a period of dominance? So basically, how do we stop the 10 minutes of madness from happening? And then we had one question as well, which was simply from Kieran, set pieces. Please talk about set pieces and how we fix set pieces. So I know, Angela, there was something in the post-game chat on Fox that piqued your interest about the set pieces. Did you want to elaborate on that? Oh, I feel like to get the the best understanding of it, people should go back and just watch the post-game. Georgia Yeomandale um, noted basically that Tony Gustafsson has a very particular way that he wants players to mark and defend set pieces. Um, and basically that we haven't, we haven't nailed it yet. We haven't got it down pat, but I think the thinking is, is that once the Matildas figure out that sort of chaos will subside, there'll be a bit more um, understanding of what's required so that it's not just everyone losing their minds and then the ball ping-ponging around um, and things will improve. But yes, I think I was speaking to a friend about the game and she was like, they'll, they'll definitely be working on set pieces after this. And I think that everyone's in agreement on that. That was a real weakness um, in the game. Um, but yes, do check out the post-game stuff because Georgia Yeomandale is very articulate and put it in good, good, nice words. But yes. I think the first goal, you let it happen. It was a scramble, got caught out. It's the, it's the other two goals that were concerned, were the real concern. And I don't think you can look at the defensive issues without talking about the big elephant in the room that we haven't talked about yet. It's not the elephant in the room because everyone knows it existed. Mackenzie Arnold had an absolute shocker. Like she had a nightmare 10 minutes. Like the second goal, defence had to clear it. But where's like Mackenzie Arnold was not in the right place. She would know this. She knew that she would have known that she was not in the right place to handle that set piece, um, sort of got caught. And she did actually make a couple of little saves there. Um, but the, the ball should have been cleared. Like there should well, one, the goal was actually offside. We have to note that it was offside. If we had the devil that is VAR, it probably would have got overturned. Um, but regardless, ball should have been cleared. Mackenzie Arnold's positioning wasn't great. Defence needed to be better. No good. Um, and then also the third goal, obviously. Um, Arnold's just had a total nightmare for, you know, she would know that. Her teammates would know that. We probably don't need to go into the fact that she's just had a fresh airy when trying to grab a relatively straightforward cross. I think set pieces clearly are something that I think you held your breath every time they had one after that. Like, you're like oh, God, what's going to happen? And to their credit, I think the Matildas did improve. I query whether they would have been quite as much of an issue if Alana Kennedy and Lydia Williams were in that back line, a more experienced group. Though that said, we did see that first goal against Italy um, at the World Cup. So, yeah, clearly that's something that needs to be worked on. It's something that will get better with time as Tony gets more and more time with this group. Um, I like what you drew upon there from Georgie Yeomandale, Angela, like the reasoning behind it. Like clearly as a new coach, he'll have a certain way that he wants these set pieces to be defended. It's going to take time to get that right. I think going forward, we're unlikely to see Ivy Lewick as a centre-back. My personal thoughts on this is we may well see her deployed. And I'm not saying she is the same quality of player or type of player as Juliet's, but one thing that we saw with the US a lot when Tony was there with Jill Ellis was the US having a back four with Juliet's defensive midfield. And then at times when they defended, she'd drop in to make it a back five. I wouldn't be surprised to see Ivy Lewick used in that sense at times. But I think going forward, we're far more likely to see 
Alana Kennedy paired with either Claire Polkinghorne or Laura Brock. Um, I think we'll get a better... In- and I don't think it's any coincidence at all that we looked more defensively resolute once Alana Kennedy... Alana Kennedy came onto the field, moved into centre-back, and Ivy Luke was pushed into midfield. Looked more resolute in midfield and in defence. So I think those are important things to take into consideration. I don't think the starting back four we saw is going to be the same one that we will see. I think we'll see three of those players start in the back four. Steph Catley, Ellie Carpenter, and uh, probably Claire Polkinghorne. I think Ivy Luke will be pushed further up the field. So issues there, but bar those 10 minutes... Yeah, there are a couple of chances um, that Denmark had, but I think once we got our heads back in the game, we looked a lot more settled and less threatened by every time Denmark went forward as opposed to those 10 minutes that we saw. Yeah, agreed, Harry. absolutely. And I think perhaps the purpose of the Denmark game was to see whether Ivy Lewitt could do those defensive roles um, she hasn't, I mean, outside of perhaps Spain where, you know, she, she did play at centre-back for a, a little while at club level, you know, playing centre-back at international level is a very different kind of beast. And so Tony perhaps felt like he needed to see whether she was capable of doing that in order to know whether she can play the Juliet's role because Juliet's did start as a centre-back before she was moved into, into sort of defensive midfield for the United States. So I think that was good. I think that that experiment worked, but she's obviously a better defensive midfielder than she is a centre-back. And perhaps part of the reason why we did have that sort of scramble of, of 10 minutes and the, the, the those huge defensive lapses is because Luik is a little bit more inexperienced there. She's also quite short. So like having to try and clear set pieces as a short central defender, I think is probably almost impossible, Um, particularly if you've only got other sort of shorter people around you, you know, aside from Claire Polking on Mackenzie Arnold, I like, what is, what is the average height of the Matildas? I don't know. Um, And Steph Catley is also sort of kind of a little bit taller as well, but you know, so yeah, I think tall central defenders is what's needed. It, it is no surprise, however, as you said, that Kennedy looked um, very comfortable when she came on and pushing Ivy Lewick back into central midfield just made everything look more balanced. Everything looked more resolute, more more solid. Um, and so I think that that was an important lesson for for Tony to learn to be able to see that and to see those players and, and how they can move into those different kinds of positions. So I do think going forward, it is going to be a pairing of Kennedy with a, with a Polkinghorne or a Brock with a Lewick probably dropping in in certain circumstances. And I think that that's good because that's what all those players are good at. One thing I did like, and I think I mentioned it off the top, was when we did have that, just after that sort of 10 minutes of madness where we conceded three, was um, Tony sort of tucking in Ellie Carpenter and to a lesser extent Steph Catley. Um, that's clearly not Ellie's strength, like, not a centre-back, you know, we don't expect those players to be centre-backs. Maybe Steph Catley will be down the road, but clearly Denmark were, you know, attacking through the middle, using some pace, and if there's one thing Ivy Lewick and Claire Polkinghorne don't have its pace, <laughs> and um, neither does uh, Emily Van Egmond in midfield. I thought that just closed down that option a little bit. It just meant that if they were going to try and attack down the middle, we had the, the speed to counter that, to you know, close it down, not get caught out on the break. I thought that was a nice way to sort of just stem the bleeding a little bit, um, not allow us to get cut open straight through the middle of the park and give Denmark options to pick out absolutely anyone they felt like and sort of limited the influence of Peniel Harder as well. I thought that was a, a good, important thing. And it's, it's nice to see just a little bit of a tactical switch there, just a bit of a change up. Um, obviously, that's not what we want to see long term. Talking to a friend of the 
pod Tom about this. No coincidence that our best football was that first 10 minutes and probably the last 10 minutes when we had the back four and we had attacking fullbacks and we had things, you know, just the way we want them. So, um, yeah, clearly there's things to fix up with our defence. I don't think anyone's denying that. But I think we got to see the team get more resolute as they went on. And clearly, if you add, as we said, Alina Kennedy, Lydia Williams into the mix, that leadership, that strength, that experience, it's going to look a hell of a lot better, I think. I think also going back to the topic of Macca, so I think Simon's question was really interesting. Is it technical or psychological in that instance definitely psychological and I sort of noted this during the FAWSL season she doesn't seem to quite have the resilience there yet to be able to lead in those situations where perhaps she's made a mistake um and sort of yeah push out from there like push on from there I guess and still direct the back line and take that leadership role that Lids is like well known for doing um I suppose as well for me so me and Sam watched the French Germany friendly after the game and I was just like in love with Wendy Renard I think she's fantastic she's also very tall takes a big box um but she the defense that they have like France has is very like in tune with one another and I think that's going to happen we can bring that to the table for the Matildas by having consistency and basically having someone like Kennedy being in the back line more and having a I guess a center back that we pick you're the one who makes the call you're the one who directs the line and that's your role and that's what you're going to bring as well as, you know, your technical ability. But that, yeah, that's that's what I sort of feel is missing at this point in time is someone that is game in, game out, that person who can basically organise and read and understand the defensive line. So when there are any changes, they can, I guess, orchestrate things a little bit more. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, thanks. The other thing with Mackenzie Arnold is we've seen with her season at West Ham is she she is a good shot stopper. We all know she can be a great shot stopper and her distribution can be great. But when she's playing for West Ham, she has to be on all the time, like bang, 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 chances coming at you, got to be switched on. Had this chat with, as we mentioned before, a friend of the pod, Tom. He's getting far too many mentions this week. Sorry, everyone. Um, But she has to be on all the time at West Ham. Like can't let her guard drop. Whereas Lydia Williams is often playing in dominant teams, like, for example, at Melbourne City, where you don't cop too many chances, but you have to be on all the time because if you, you know, you cop one, it's out of nowhere. It's usually against the run of play. Whereas that's what's happened in this game. Um, You know, copped a, to be fair, the first goal was unlucky, but copping chances against the run of play, maybe just the concentration wasn't there. I think... We can probably also chalk it up to just having a shocker. Sometimes you do. But I think there's probably something to be said for maybe Mackenzie Andrews used to being on all the time at West Ham. Lydia Williams is more often, you know, playing sort of a director role and then steps up when she needs to. So maybe there's something in that in terms of Arnold just not maybe not being quite so used to having to be on her guard all, you know, be on her guard for if a moment might happen rather than just being under pressure the whole time and having to pull out shots and, Sometimes you can't stop them going in, but you're going to save more often than not. So, yeah, I think a learning experience for Mackenzie Arnold as well. So in in light of kind of the chat about Mackenzie Arnold having a shocker and stuff, we had a question from Lewis on Twitter who asked, has Arnold jeopardised the number two spot based on this performance? Sam, you have some thoughts and feelings on that one? Yeah, a question from Lewis answered by Lewis. Um, 
I, I don't know if she's necessarily jeopardized it, but I think that the question of the number two goalkeeper is as open as it has been for a long time. And that's not necessarily because Arnold is sort of playing her way out of contention, but I think that Tegan Micah is playing her way in. And I'm really looking forward to seeing if she gets the Sweden game. I think that she will because Tony seems to be using all of these friendlies to see what every single possible player is capable of in these big moments. And now that Arnold has shown over the course of two games as well, remember that she played one of the games in the first series of friendlies as well and had a couple of shocking moments too. I think that Tegan Micah's time is here and she hasn't been capped at this level yet. She hasn't actually shown what she can do at international level. But when we watched her all play for Melbourne City, she was clearly the best goalkeeper in the league. She has been voted the best goalkeeper in the Norwegian league as well. So she's come up through UCLA in the US college system. She was one of the best goalkeepers there. She is, I think, the heir to the Matilda's goalkeeper throne. And I think this is the moment to really start to blood her and to see what she can do. And so I'm, I'm really hoping that she is able to step up to that challenge. She seems to be, when you watch her, I mean, I don't know how you all feel about it, but when I watched her playing for Melbourne City especially, she just seemed to be at another natural level compared to all the goalkeepers around her. She just has the instinct. She reads the game. She has the physical capability. She has the strength in the air. She has the commanding leadership from that spot as well. She just seems to tick so many other kinds of boxes that other goalkeepers Australia has been producing recently don't seem to do. So I think that now that Arnold has shown that, you know, she is sort of uh, liable to having these shocking moments, moments that come serious tournament time, you really can't be risking I, I really hope that this is Tegan Micah's chance to step up because I think a lot of us are pretty convinced that she is has, she has a big future in the Matildas. It's just a matter of when she starts that future. It's an interesting one, Sam, because I think they will want to play, if Lydia Williams is fit and firing, they'll want to play her against Sweden because I think that's the, the big one in, this, uh, in these two friendlies. But watching the Socceroos overnight, um, former Melbourne Victory goalkeeper Lawrence Thomas, who's playing in Denmark, got brought on um, as a substitute. They played Andrew Redman at the start and then brought on Lawrence Thomas um, in their game against Nepal, um, which they were expected to win, obviously. So I'll be interested to see if they take that approach because, as I said in our previews to these, I expected them to play Mackenzie Arnold in one of these friendlies and Lydia Williams in the other. Still seems likely to me, but if Tegan Mike has been impressing at training, I mean, at some point, she's going to get a run, you'd think. Like... <laughs> But it's just whether they pull the trigger now or they wait because she's clearly doing all the right things, as you said. We had a couple more questions. So one from Stephen on Twitter as well. Basically, everyone's been focusing a lot on the negatives because there were a few negatives to focus on. We've mentioned some positives in the You Love to See It, but are there any other positives that we could take out of this game that people would like to discuss, Anna? Sam Kerr. I reckon this is the sharpest she's looked since Tony took the reins. I think it's the most involved she's looked. Um, she could have easily had a goal. Like she had one disallowed fairly for offside. She had uh, the Danish keeper Christensen made a couple of good saves off her, including that one where Hayley Razzo followed up. It was a very sharp moment. She could have easily scored. She looked involved. She looked creative. She looked dangerous. She it felt like they got things right. And yeah, Caitlin Ford was sort of blanketed out of the game, but that's how it works when you've got good forwards. Um, if you've got multiple good attacking options, 
it's very hard to keep them all down. Um, and to Denmark's, the Danish defence's credit, they seem to do a really good job of making sure Caitlin Ford was shut out of the game. But Sam Kerr was excellent, I thought. Um, probably deserved a goal. She looked all over the place in a good sense. She was, <laughs> she was creating. She was on the move. She was taking players on. Um, and I think we saw a couple of moments where we sort of tried to lob it to Kerr a bit, but it looks like Tony really emphasised, please do not do this. We can't get predictable and just lob crosses into Sam Kerr, which seems to be a bit of our get-out-of-jail thing at times. Um, and fair enough, it happens in every team when you've got a world-class striker. You can kind of just get a little bit of the blinkers on. And we did it a couple of times, but not too much. And I think we benefited from looking at a few different options. I like that she got kept on for a long time. As I mentioned, she played a bit with Emily Gionic, a bit with Mary Fowler, um, a bit with Kara Cooney-Cross on the field as well, if I remember correctly. And she looked great. I thought she probably deserved a goal. And I thought there were plenty of positive signs. And hopefully against Sweden, we see her get that goal because she really did deserve one in that game, I thought. For me, the the massive, massive positive, which is probably not a huge surprise to anyone, was Ellie Carpenter. She was just amazing. She was probably our player of the match. And she she seems to have come along and in exactly the way that we expected from her season with Leon. You know, she came, this is her first, um, her first friendly under Tony, and she slotted in like she had been here all along, you know. Um, she recently was named in the team of the season in France's top division, which is pretty extraordinary for her first season in Europe. And she was probably one of our most dangerous players, you know, looking at the statistics at the end of the game, Ellie Carpenter created the most chances of any player on the field. She had 11 chances created from that wide fullback position. Um, she was dynamic. She was energetic. She was smart on the ball, smarter with her passes. Her movement was great. She listened to uh, those kinds of moments where she needed to rein it in a little bit further, where she can't, couldn't just continue to bomb up and up and up and up down the line. But when she actually needed to show some restraint and show some defensive responsibility, she did that as well, which is something that I think in and around sort of 2019, 2018, 19, she perhaps didn't have the wisdom to do. She's just become, I think, one of the best players Australia has ever produced. And she, it's so, so exciting to see other people now really fully start to get behind that. And one of the questions that I regret not asking Tony is whether Ellie really embodies the kind of spirit and identity that the Matildas want to be playing with. Because he talks about this, right? He talked about after the two losses against Germany and Netherlands, he was like, we seemed, particularly in the loss against Germany, we seem to have lost our identity. We want to be a particular kind of team. We want to be a team that presses high. We want to be a team that wins the ball back. We want to be a team that shows this never say die attitude that we seem to espouse and we have on hashtags everywhere. Ellie Carpenter seems to be that player. She seems to encapsulate everything about the energy and the spirit of the Matildas that we've always wanted them to show. So I think that she's just fabulous. I'm really looking forward to seeing how she goes against Sweden, a more, a more difficult opponent, arguably. Um, and I think she's going to play a really, really big role in all the major tournaments coming up. You know, I'm, I'm sorry for Charlotte Grant. I know Charlie Grant is a great player, but she is probably never going to get a foot in the door when Ellie Carpenter is on fire like this. You gotta feel bad for Ellie Carpenter, her first full season with Leon, and they get pipped by PSG because, like, I just yeah, she's a fantastic player, and it's just sort of like the the broader narrative. I respect it, but Ellie, I'm sad for you. Um, 
also and the just bounce- league as well. Sorry, and the Champions League as well, Angela. She did get oh, a minute in the one they won, and then they got knocked out in the one they did play. So it's fair to say she get a bit of resilience from uh, this season at Leon too. Yeah, not something you'd normally associate with getting at you know playing at Leon, but yeah, she's really um, made her mark there in other ways, which is fantastic. And just bouncing off what you said, Anna about not lobbing the ball to Sam Kerr. I'm like, I agree with you, but I really enjoyed seeing Steph Catley back along, you know, on the other side of the pitch with Ellie Carpenter. That was a very comforting experience, I think, seeing the two of them back in the game. Um, I think Catley only played a half, but she did make that fantastic ball over to Sam Kerr very early on. That was just like, just down to the it was perfect I loved it and Sam actually scored off that but then it was also come on get it together Sammy but yes I'm like no lobbing the ball to Sam unless you're Steph Catley and you can get it with just like complete accuracy you know anyway so that was my other I guess how good or positive something that I really like to see from the game all right Last question from friend of the pod, Tom, who has been mentioned so much he should basically get a feature on this episode. But he asked, do you think one of the big issues for us is the World Cup qualification process in Asia is so compacted that it minimises the amount of competitive games we play? And then by extension, do you think expanding qualification processes should be the next step for women's international football in general? We know that a lot of tournaments kind of double up as qualifiers and an actual tournament we know that everything's kind of fast and furious in the women's game so I'd love all your thoughts on this Angela do you want to kick us off yes um I agree you're right Tom yes (laughs) want to expand (laughs) it was it was very much like the way that he wrote the question was very much like a and a like I'll take that as a comment um you know what I mean I think he I think, but I really did, I did, you know, like I really did enjoy the question. I think it raises a very good point. Um, And I agree. I think we should be playing more games. And I think that the games need to be like more diverse in who we're playing against. And I'm also, the, the other thing that it sort of picked in my mind was at youth level, what are the sort of what's the depth and diversity of games that we're seeing in like young Matildas and and those sorts of setups as well. And is that something that needs to be um, addressed so that we're having players playing in, you know, high pressure competitive games at a national level at a young age, and then moving into that same environment as seniors. Um, But yes, I agree. I think hundred percent. Yeah. It's a really, really good question, I think. And it's, it's something that sort of speaks to, a lot of these structural inequalities that women's international football faces. Um, I know that Europe has a very different kind of qualification process for the Women's World Cup than what Asia and Africa and CONMEBOL does. We use the Asian Cup as its own qualifying tournament for the World Cup, whereas European nations go through their own separate qualification process on the side of the Euros. So, you know, the equivalent would be, you know, European teams using the Euros as qualification for the World Cup, but they have like a separate thing. So they play almost double the amount of, probably even more, I have to check the stats, almost double the amount of matches that we do just by virtue of being a national team in Europe. So I think that that it really, now when you sort of understand that as the larger context in which these teams are developing, it makes complete sense why Europe is starting to get better 
because they just they're playing more matches they're playing more matches against each other they're playing more matches in competitive environments and they're playing more matches also obviously at club level so the continents outside of that or the confederations and other federations outside of that we currently don't have a similar sort of system so i think it absolutely makes sense that we should at least try to develop a similar kind of separate qualification process for the same tournaments as what other teams around the world are going through because at least then there is some some sense of equality in that those kinds of structural decisions and it it matters you know because those games, the results based on those games feed into World Cup rankings and those rankings determine seeds. They determine a whole bunch of other kinds of logistical things when it comes to major tournaments. So, yeah, absolutely. And Angela, I like what you said as well about needing to figure out the kinds of matches and minutes and diversity of opponents that we play at youth level. I think that was a big finding from the performance gap report that Football Australia did last year. They've showed that, you know, compared to equivalent youth nations around the world, Australia plays some of the fewest games at youth level, particularly across Asia. Like you look at Australia versus Japan, for example, Australia only has, I think, three age groups, whereas Japan has a, an age bracket from, from every age from the age of 15. They have a team in every bracket and, and all of them play so many more games than we do. So just addressing that stuff, it's not, it's not about the quality of players. All Like all players are basically created equal at birth except for like Sam Kerr right but you need to be able to give them environments the same kinds of environments that ensure that all of them are able to flourish as much as they can and so because we don't have those structures in Australia particularly across Asia I think we're always going to be falling a little bit behind other confederations and other nations that have those structures in place. Yeah spot on Sam like when you look at the Women's Asian Cup which is our qualifying tournament like what you play three group games, semi-final, final, and you qualify if you make that semi-final. Like, it's straightforward. And we're not even going to actually have a qualification process for the next World Cup because we're the hosts. Um, the only thing that Europe has that's a bit odd is the Olympic spots are made up of the three teams, I think, that finish highest at the World Cup. So that's why you've got Team GB, the Netherlands and Sweden, I think, are the ones that are going. Like, teams like France, Germany <laughs> aren't even playing. And another thing with Europe is, Teams like Denmark, who didn't even make the last World Cup, or you see quality teams miss out on the Euros. Like, there's so much competition for these. Like, you have Euro qualifiers, you have Euros, you have World Cup qualifiers, like, so many games. But the other thing that I've noticed, or well, not noticed, that has really struck me, especially because I've been covering the Socceroos a lot over the last couple of weeks, is Socceroos are only in that third phase of World Cup qualifying, and they play eight games in their group. So they play... And these are games that they've cruised through. They've won seven from seven. So these, in terms of quality of opposition, these aren't the big indicators. But one, when they get to the next round, they'll play 10 games. Like they're in the group of six and they play five home, five away, bar it being in a hub or whatever. But that's 10 really important, really important games that they have to play just to qualify for the World Cup. So you, and that will be, you know, in previous years, it's playing, that's been playing against Japan and Saudi Arabia and, other teams that offer really, really stern resistance at that level. So, yeah, we need more games. I think Tom's, Tom's right. More games, more high-quality games. But I'm preaching to the converted here. We all, we all know this. We know we need more games, and that's why we're playing these friendlies, and that's why we're trying to see as much exposed form as possible. And, yeah, long may it continue because we need more and more quality games, and that's the only, one, only way we're going to get better. 
the one thing I wanted to highlight was just competitive games. I feel like that is the the key kind of thing. But we are lucky, as you mentioned, Sam, the performance gap report has at least acknowledged that this is an issue and there are better steps being taken to kind of rectify it. And another thing is the um the FIFA playoff tournament, Australia and New Zealand, even though they've qualified for the 2023 World Cup, they'll be playing in that tournament against teams who are looking to qualify. So those are competitive games that we will now have under our belt um, heading into the World Cup. That's the Tillies game, but we haven't done a kind of general episode in a while and there's been some things that have happened since then. So we'll run through some newsy headline bits. The big news for this podcast uh, broke last night. One, Claire Wheeler has signed for Fortuna Horing over in Denmark. Sam, I'm not going to say anything more. It's it's all yours now, bud. <laughs> oh, my God. Isn't this just what I like? I absolutely am number one Claire Wheeler stand. But isn't this just something that all of us have been wanting ever since we watched Claire Wheeler play for Sydney FC? She was just so incredible for their run towards the plate. She was so great for them in the grand final. She is the kind of player who you saw when she decided that she wanted to stay in Australia. You were all like, no, no, you're too good to be here. Go somewhere else, please, please. And she seems to have done that. There seems to have been some conversations in and around Claire Wheeler where hopefully Football Australia have gone to her and said, look, we want you to be part of this setup, but we need you to be pushing yourself. We need you to be finding opportunities in bigger leagues across the world. We need you to be starting to improve. She's still a young player, but she has so much potential. So she's moved over to Fortuna Huring to join Australia's India Page Riley. Uh, shout out to a friend of the pod, Philip. Um, and she's going to be playing in Denmark. She's going to be playing possibly Champions League. She's going to be playing in a professional setup. It's I think it's just the perfect opportunity for, for Wheeler to kick on. And it's a really good, I think, league stylistically for her as well. I think she's a really technical player. She is a player who understands how 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 football works at a sort of a psychological level. Um, she may not be the most physical or the or the most athletic player, but she she works a hell of a lot. We saw that in the grand final as well. And she is just this beautiful metronomic kind of midfielder that I think a lot of teams are going to really enjoy. So yeah, I'm I'm so so excited about this move, and I hope that a couple of other players who've decided to stay in Australia instead of kicking on see what Claire Wheeler is doing and say, you know what, I should actually be doing that as well because we have some more players in Australia who deserve that. Yeah, we mentioned Kara Cooney Cross, didn't we, earlier on, Sam? I'm completely on board with what you're saying. Um, we were talking about it pre-pod, like. Clearly, she has the ability. Um, I think we were all a bit disheartened, like hearing her when she came on our pod, like and said, "I oh, know I'm looking at staying here because we know she had the job at Macquarie." But that's the thing you've got to mention. She's given up her full time job. She is taking the leap. She is doing what she had to do. If you want to be a Matilda, you've got to do that. Um, and as you say, Sam, clearly someone has had that conversation with her and said, "Do you want to be a Matilda? Because you're not going to do it kicking around in the New South Wales NPL." As much as our friend Sam loves the New South Wales NPL. Claire Wheeler is a better player than that. And if she wants to be in this Matilda setup, she wants to knock other players out of this 11 then, or out of these, this squad, she's got to take her game to that next level. And I'm super excited to see what she can do. It's great that we've got a bunch of players now taking the leap, seeing where they can take their football, and we're going to be better off for it. So, yeah. It's not just our number one Claire Wheeler stand that's excited about it. It's exciting news for everyone and especially for Claire Wheeler. And credit to Sydney FC for really celebrating her making that leap. Um, 
And a lot of the WA clubs do deserve that. Adelaide United did the same with Charlie Grant, like celebrating their players taking the next leap and wanting to push their careers forward because the whole talent pool is better off for these players doing that. It's what we needed. It's long overdue um, and it's great to see it happening. Sorry, Sam, have you seen Madagascar? Yeah, yes. you're like Mort, big Mort energy. <laughs> I like that. I like that performance of you like that. I love her. <laughs> anyway, I am not, I'm not protective or defensive over Claire Wheeler. I want to share her around. I want to share the joy, the love, the enthusiasm. <laughs> Please, everyone, welcome. Welcome to the club. <laughs> um, also, the, just the whole vibe is like, Claire, honey, we love you, but fuck off, please. <laughs> just off you trot. No, we're not. No, we're genuine. It's in the nicest way possible. We love you and we want to see the best for you, Claire, and we're so happy. Anyway. If you love someone, you have to let them go. <laughs> Talking to you, New South Wales NPLW. Oh, according then- to Angela, if you love someone, you need to let them fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and there goes fuck our off over there and then fuck off a bit further <laughs> to Europe. Uh, also, I can't wait to edit Sam's face onto Mort, which is a tiny little lemma because I've just Googled it. So this is this, this episode has produced some, some content. Um, but we have some other European news. Lydia Williams uh, extended her contract at Arsenal, which is awesome. She'll be there for another season. Kaya Simon has is no longer at PSV, so she'll be looking for a new club for the next season. And Joe Montemuro has signed at Juventus. He'll be the head coach there. So very exciting news for him. Uh, in terms of other international news, Alex Chidiak has announced her move to Jeff United in the WE League over in Japan, which is the fully professional, fancy new league over there. So it's super exciting um, for her. She posted a really great tweet Um, saying that she watched the 2011 World Cup final between Japan and the US and saw Japan win and basically fell in love with the place. So she's super stoked uh, to be playing over there. Harrow, some thoughts? I just don't think she's going to be the last one to do it either, Marissa. I think Mm -hmm. we'll see other Australians follow suit. It's If you don't necessarily want to go to Europe, it's uh, it's closer. Um, And once travel restrictions eventually do open up, I think Japan's going to be one of the first um, in terms of borders with Australia. Um, so that's probably going to make it appealing. Very technical football. I know Caitlin Ford and Katrina Gorey both benefited from playing over there um, in the previous iterations of their league. Elise Caitlin Knight and Tamika Yallop have also played there. I think for Chids, it's the perfect sort of league in terms of where she needs to improve. We know she's got that raw creativity in, and technical ability in terms of enhancing that technical ability, but also um, having a playing a role in terms of structures and discipline, I think this will be a really exciting move for her because the Japanese are right up there when it comes to just having very uh, disciplined tactics, structures, formations, you name it. Like their football is um, beyond discipline. I think that'll be a great move for Alex Chidiak, who of course just needs to get more and more game time to become a better and better footballer and probably the footballer we all know she can be. So I think it's an exciting move for Alex Chidiak and I wouldn't be surprised to see more Australians look to head there instead of to some of maybe the lower European leagues going forward. Much like we've seen in the men's game, actually. We've seen some men's players, soccerers head to Japan in the past or even Korea, but more so Japan rather than making the move over to Europe. Um, and it's, it's done wonders for their football. 
So hopefully that's what we see with Alex Judiak and other players going forward. And last bit of local news, uh, Kath Canorley has officially been announced as the Western Sydney Wanderers coach in the W League. That's Dean Heffernan gone and Kath Canorley stepping up from the assistant role. So super exciting to see what she does with that squad. And Perth continues to make signings and we love them for it. Um, so they've now got 13 players signed. We had a whole bunch of uh, players pop up from across the country as well, some re-signings from last season. Sam, I know you had some uh, thoughts on some of the more recent signings. I'm just really excited by what Perth are doing. It's exactly the kind of thing that they need to do to respond to last season, I think. And it's fabulous that the club has given Alex Aparkas the uh, permission, you know, to go out and do this. Like he has been flying across the country sitting down with players, sitting down with their families and saying, we want you to be part of this project. And that's great. And they're, they're, they're not just, you know, putting in that off-season effort in terms of recruiting players, but they're also giving them long-term contracts as well. Like these are players who have been contracted for over the, like over a single season, which is exactly what needs to start to happen in the W League. And it's sort of extraordinary that it hasn't happened a lot sooner because these are the kinds of contracts that, if a club overseas spots a player playing in the W League and they want to sign them, usually clubs just wait till the end of the season and then can sign them on a free transfer. But if you have players who are contracted beyond that, it means that the club gets money for it. What a concept. So if we're going to have more and more players wanting to play overseas, more and more players who are becoming more visible playing in the W League, other clubs are wanting to recruit them. This is something that Australian football can actually literally capitalise on and can start to ask for signing fees. And that's fabulous. That's what we need. And that investment needs to come back into clubs, needs to come back into the W League. And that's how we start to like build this football economy. So I'm really excited by Perth. I'm really excited that they're leaning on, on youth. You know, they, they started off with the signing of Hannah Lowry. And I think that building a team around Hannah Lowry is the future not just of perhaps Perth, but also maybe of the Matildas alongside Kyra, alongside Mary. Um, but seeing the, the recent signings as well, like I've loved seeing Aideen Keane, who's been recently signed for Perth. Um, she is an absolute weapon here in the New South Wales MPL. She is so physical. She, you wouldn't know that she was still a young player because she just bodies people off the ball. And she, it, yeah, it's just, it's really, really fun to watch. Um, I've loved seeing the signing of Alana Janchevsky, who was on the, the, as a train on with Melbourne Victory, I believe, and also maybe with Melbourne City for a while, but has never got a look in. And I've loved seeing the signing of Claudia Miacic. She has been absolutely outstanding at youth international level. She was one of the best players in the junior Matildas. She can play as a defender. She can play as a defensive midfielder. And she has just this, this sort of maturity about her when she's on the field, when she's on the ball, that I think is really exciting to watch. And I'm really keen to see how Aparkas is able to foster that and how he's able to fit her in alongside all of her other teammates who she's already familiar with at youth level. I think that's a that's another good thing that they're they're obviously wanting to tap into is the fact that these players already know each other. They already have chemistry on the field. They already know how each other play. And so bringing in those pockets of chemistry, I think, is important in terms of being able to deliver on the field ultimately because that's what's going to have to happen. So, yeah, loving what Perth are doing. More clubs should be doing it. Look Like, I think the last W League season, the overall lesson that we learned from that is that Actually, Australia does have a fairly deep talent pool. You know, we were worried that when the like the top cream of the crop Matildas left, that the, the league would turn to shit. But 
actually it was one of the most exciting leagues ever. And that's because we do have really good players here and you just need to give them a go. So that's what Perth are doing. That's what all clubs should be doing. And going forward, I think this is this is starting to look like the future of the league. When we had a friend of the pod, Alex Gummer, on, we asked her some players that she thought should pop up in the W League and two of them that she mentioned were Alani Janjewski and Claudia Miocic. So she's a season late, but she's she's right on the money there. So shout out to friend of the pod, Alex. Um, but, yeah, so exciting. Would love other W League clubs to be announcing their signings. Hint, hint, nudge, nudge. Just, just do it. I think it'd be really fun and sexy if you did it. Anyway, that is the end of this episode. Thanks so much for tuning in remember you can find us on espn.com.au and the espn app where you can find us on spotify google apple stitcher you can subscribe and leave a review if you like what we're doing um we'll obviously ask you for more questions after the sweden game and you can do that on twitter or any other social media at the far post pod but until next time see you